The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is Bitcoin Week Part 2 as one of the largest Bitcoin conferences kicks off here in New York City. We've got every crypto angle covered in just a few moments. Former Citigroup trader goes crypto, Arthur Hayes, who runs one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges by volume, will be here. And he says something very bullish happened today. He'll tell us what that is. Plus, place your bets the Supreme Court paving the way for legalized sports gambling. And there could be an unlikely group of winners. We will give you the stocks and the trades. But first, we start off with a rally that many wish was not happening. Talking about the pain at the pump, gas prices are nearing $3 a gallon as oil has jumped 5% in the past month alone. That certainly has helped energy stocks. But could higher prices at the pump actually hit the consumer and send consumer-facing stocks reeling? This uh, ahead of a big week, big couple of weeks for retail earnings. Scott. Yeah, and obviously it's not going to help the consumer. I mean, it's it's clearly not going back into the economy. And, and the, those incidental dollars you're spending on gas, you can't spend someplace else. I saw Joe Lavornia on earlier today talking about just that. But doesn't mean all retail is going to die. Look at Walmart and Target today, for example. I mean, if you go down to the lowest common denominator, I guess, so if you want to break it down, I think those stocks can win to it. And, you know, Tim's been on the energy trade for a while. You know, gas prices are not moving up parabolically, in my opinion. And it's not like we haven't seen these prices before over the last five or six years. So although it's a headwind, I don't think it means you short the retailers there in mass. Well, again, if you look at some retailers, they're actually, you mentioned a couple that are doing okay today, although Walmart and, and Target, certainly Walmart, have not done very well. And, and you could probably connect the charts if you wanted to to the XLE. XLE versus the SPY since the middle of March, though, is underperformed by 15%. So this is the whole S&P. I, I would just say, obviously, the move we've had in energy has been a big run. And by the way, why were we not giving uh, consumer stocks a big boost when oil prices were cheap? We weren't doing that. Um, I don't think it means a whole lot. And in fact, I look at stock by stock, Macy's, which I think is in the middle of a at least a mild transformation, mild. Uh, again, an online initiative, better inventory control. Jeff Jeanette doing a great job. I, you know, there are names that are outperforming even energy here. I mean, some might say that that fuel efficiency in cars has gotten so good so that much people better. don't necessarily feel Although the pain big trucks. as <laughs> much as big in truck, the past. It's much, more, it's much more fuel efficient. And when right. you look at the kind of metals that they're using in trucks, I mean, it really Lighter. has made a huge yeah. difference. But um, to Tim's point, he's talking about Walmart and Target and Walmart not performing as well. I agree with that. But Target, I love what Target's been doing and how they're shifting and how they're remodeling the stores. 300 stores this year are going to get a facelift going on. And they've really 
they've absolutely gotten onto this concept of the small units on college campuses and all other all over the United States for distribution. There's a lot of reasons that those names work, as well as like a TJ Maxx, for instance. Look at TJX. That is pushing once again right up there. I think the discounters still will do well. We had a nice bump today in Dollar Tree. When you look around at some of the discount type names, those are the names that I think will do better. Yeah, so, yeah. We have retail sales tomorrow morning, right? And we yeah. know that Q1 was disappointing. And it was surprising that it was disappointing that, yeah, we did have energy price oil going up. But we also thought that this was going to be the quarter we saw the effects um, of these tax cuts, right? Because we were seeing it on the enterprise, on the corporate level. And we thought that maybe some animal spirits would make their way into the consumer. We didn't really see that. So it'll be interesting to see what that print is for April um, going forward. And I'll just make another point. You know, you mentioned Walmart. Um, you know, when you think about Walmart, you think about Home Depot, they have two-thirds of the market cap of an Amazon. Amazon, which is up more than 30%. Those two stocks are actually down um, on the year. I mean, Walmart's done a lot, and Home Depot's flat on the year, massively underperforming here. So, you know, Walmart's dragged up a little. You know, the XRT, the ETF that tracks retail, is basically up 1% of the year. But do you think it's energy? I think good point. Is it energy related? Well, I, I'm just saying, I think it has a combination to do that maybe the consumer, even with these tax cuts, we know the truth that it really wasn't oriented towards um, consumers. It was more oriented towards corporates. And then when you think about energy moving up, it's kind of a weird combination. Also, consumers in some of the biggest uh, populous parts of the country actually didn't get a whole lot of benefit from this tax deal. If anything, they actually kind of got you-know-what um, based upon like what it meant coast. to their tax. But, well, yeah, I mean, and these, these are where you get a lot of consumption. So um, Walmart, Home Depot were stocks that I think you could make arguments that those valuations didn't make sense two months ago before energy went on this tear. It, they certainly don't make sense if you believe that the consumer, I, I think the consumer has a lot of leverage to LIBOR. And, and I think that is yeah. a sensitivity that is much more important than energy prices. Than I, any and other. I think that could be a double pinch here because consumers are dealing with higher energy prices, which may not in and of itself be that big of a deal in this day and age. But when you couple that with the exposure to short-term borrowing costs, yeah. which have been going higher, such as credit card debt, et cetera, that could be a real impact. I've been going higher, but LIBOR's come off a bit now over the sure. last couple weeks, so that's not as much as a head of a headwind. Listen, one thing I've learned over doing this for any time you bet against a U.S. consumer, it's a foolish bet. I mean, I d don't underestimate the U.S. consumer's propensity to spend. Whether or not they should be spending is yeah, an entirely so, different that's conversation. that's kind of the point, guys. Like, you could have made that same argument in 2000 and then again in 2007, and so we're talking about some weird things that are going on. Why isn't consumer spending better? You know, why are some of these behemoths in retail that, that how the market rates them, why have they seem to uh, tap out with, with Walmart and Home Depot. Well, because I mean, the marginal dollar is going online. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, I think that's that is something to do with it. And and I think if you look at some of the durable right, stuff, and that's a national deflationary you, sort of situation. It, it, when you it, think it, about it for the economy in general. It doesn't help. I think you've got to look at the numbers. Like you bring up Home Depot, right? And you said, hey, it really hasn't done a whole lot year to date. It's basically flat three to date, but it's been up. It hit new highs. It was over two hundred. Really for two year. years too. Right. If you go back just a year ago, it was one hundred and fifty six, and here we are today at one ninety one. Yeah. So this is a stock that has performed very well, and you. Look Look at their numbers each and every quarter the last three, four quarters. They've been outstanding. They've been know, showing but growth. But we're talking about what is No, but you were saying that well, they're not spending. No, I'm saying well, you're wrong. They are spending I know because they I'm wouldn't wrong. have growth. You just told me I'm wrong. But what well, I'm saying is true. when you look at the outperformance <laughs> that we're seeing in retail right now, you just mentioned Macy's. These are broken stories that are actually having a dead cat the balance. The broken stories have an issue. Costco, Home Depot, in my opinion, are not broken stories. They're but they're not to performing show you the is what I'm saying. Well, I think part of the 
performance, though, it has to do with the past and, and the huge run-up totally that fair. we had from it's last evaluation. year. It's evaluation. The Home Depot's yeah. issues are that it's, it's expensive to its history, but they are crushing the right. ball. Crushing and they've it. made investments in their business, and I actually think that the housing sector is also should be a tailwind for the home. And they're growing online. They're competing, and they're actually competing and winning. And not a lot of people could say that they're winning against Amazon. This is one of those companies that's winning in that specific space. And we, and we haven't touched on one sector that is really leveraged to this whole rise in energy prices, the casual dining segment. I mean, historically, that has been the segment. Why? No, I love the casual dining. Guys, casual dining. At Apple. I mean, you, 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 you had the, the experience. Can't get away from the well, breakfast Well, that is the Shake Shack fall into the casual That's dining. That's quick serve, but, quick but you serve. know, it's the same. Seems to be doing pretty well. And yeah. I'll add one more thing. I understand that MasterCard and Visa are more probably an international story, but MasterCard made an all-time high today. So if, if the U.S. consumer was hurting in a major way or saw signs of hurting, I think MasterCard wouldn't be trading at an all-time high today, for example. All right. Well, two groups of stocks could be calling into question the strength of the consumer. Let's send it over to our chart master, Carter Worth, the Cornerstone Macro, to break it all down. Hi, Carter. That's right. I mean, autos and housing are, are, are the biggest things in the entire consumer complex in terms of their import for the economy. And those areas of the stock market do not act well. Um, let's look at some numbers first and then drill down from there. I've picked out a few ETFs. Uh, there's an auto ETF, cute symbol, CARS, C-A-R-Z. It's 34 stocks. It's $1.1 trillion. Uh, there's the construction ETF, very similar to the home builders. This is 47 stocks, 533 billion home builders, 500. The whole thing, if you add them up, these 91 stocks, $1.7 trillion. And let's uh, drill down on this a bit. So these are the names in their weighting in the top five cars. So obviously a Japanese name, there's a big U.S. name, there's a European name, Dahmer. But in here is Porsche and Nissan, uh, Tesla's in here, Harley-Davidson's in here. So it's, it's a broad aggregate. Now take a look at the same setup here with the home construction. The key here is that this is home builders and it's very skewed in weighting towards the top few. Compare that to the XHB, which we know has a broader aggregate in terms of it has things like Lowe's and Home Depot and so forth, but, and more equal weighted. But let's take all 91 stocks and plot them as though they were a single security, that $1.7 trillion. And what we know, two things. There's a clear break in trend, and here's the line, and you can see it. And two, this aggregate is literally straight down all year. The ITB's down 11.5%, the XHB 10.5%, the CARS ETF is down too. This is a stock market that's even up a little bit. That relative performance is atrocious. Let's look at it just to make this point. So if I were to draw a line from here over the past three years, yes, straight up, but no performance relative to the stock market, and then worse, now it's actually down absolute, and it's making new six-year relative lows to the market. This is the consumer, and it's not good. I think Carter's got to oh, come, come over. On, I mean, there's no question. Carter, come on over. Ryan will bring the chair in. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan, thank you. Um, so what does this tell us about the overall rally? I mean, if we think about the consumer and think about 60% of the U.S. economy is consumer spending. Sure. And does so, this mean that, oh, well, everything's so there, terrible? So there's two things. I mean, if you look at the sector itself, we know after tech leading, energy and consumer discretion are tied at about 6.5% up on the year. But remember, that's as constructed, market cap weighted. If you take the consumer discretionary sector and give it an equal weight so that the Amazon and Home Depot don't have the impact, it's actually down. 
There is no rally in consumer. It's a few names that have held the sector up. And we know that autos, housing are much more important than restaurant sales or things like that. But, but can, I don't know how you measure the fact that the components of discretionary, you, you, you said it market weight versus equal weight, but, but also look at what people are spending their money on in tech. I mean, that is consumer discretionary as well. You can sure. make a big argument that Apple sits in that group. You can also make an argument then back to the autos. I mean, the autos have underperformed for a year. Um, so this isn't a new trend. In fact, I think we're still wrestling with this whole thing. The GM's down 25% relative to the S&P since October of last year. Right. But GM is also making probably 30-year relative lows to the market. I mean, basically, it's a bad investment, right? Ford is at all-time lows. These are, these are cyclical names that can trade at P's of 4 or 8 or 12. It really doesn't matter. There's no growth, right? So you hold them for the dividend. Maybe they cut the dividend. I mean, yes, you can get them for a trade. Maybe make some money. But no one is winning the game playing Ford long-term or General Motors. That's just... That's dead on arrival. So, Carter, how do, how do you think about, um, we were just talking about interest rates a little bit. And let's just talk about the 30-year mortgage because you're talking about housing. When you think about this last leg of the S&P 500 that really started the beginning of 2014 after the taper tantrum, we had the 30-year mortgage rate go from 450 down to 350. Now it's working its way back up to 450. How much do you think that was, you know, like how correlated are these sorts of things? And I, I I mean, ultimately, infinitely correlated, right? The equity risk premium is driven by that. Uh, and, and, and also this. It, it really gets down to, has the market and valuations, uh, is it all sort of propped up based on easy money policies? Are we really, I don't, frankly, I don't think the market can handle 350. I don't think it can handle four and a quarter. I mean, normalized interest rates, the stock market in principle is not able to handle that. Carter, thank you. Thanks. Carter Braxton worth at Cornerstone yeah. Macro. Well, I'll be, obviously, down. always that's, tremendous. That's, <laughs> took the air um, out of man, me. Boy. What did you do today, or what do you think of Carter's analysis? I love Carter's analysis. I mean, XHB, for example, he mentioned, I might as well mention it, go back to July 2015, traded up to 37 and a half and failed. Go to last year, that's where it exploded off of, 37 and a half. What's the point? Looks like we're going to trade down there, test it. I think risk-reward in the XHB actually sets up decently on the long side against this 37-and-a-half level. EM trading it tactically again. I, I think what you're doing here is you're trading in a range. Carter's talked about the goalposts. I think there's a lot of trades that you can actually get done. But after eight straight days higher, um, I don't think you're jumping in with two feet. And, again, there are ranges to trade on the downside. What did you do today, Pete? AMD was one of them. I actually just sold it last week. I'd been in there for a couple of weeks, and I'd seen some options in there today. We saw huge options come back in there. I like the chip space anyway. I think she's one of the best CEOs in the business now, and I think that AMD is in a position oh, now where they could yeah. easily run to 14 or $15 a share. On top of that, I did Devon Energy. I've been trading the energy stocks like crazy. That's been all of the options in the last couple of weeks have all been energy-related. Devon, I took off. Now I'm back in. Yeah, SPY, I've been training around it on the short side. Obviously, you just said eight days up in a row right now. It looks like that bounce, you know, it did get over that downtrend. But to me, I think you really want to watch 2700 the downside because you could be at 2650 real quickly if it breaks it. All right, coming up, Bitcoin jumping today as one of the largest blockchain conferences kicks off in New York City. And there is no shortage of crypto bros and Lamborghinis. We'll bring you, though, the juicy details from the ground and tell you what it could mean for crypto. And speaking of which, Arthur Hayes, the co-founder and CEO of BitMEX and a former trader at Citi, will be here to explain why he went full crypto. And you won't believe how high he thinks Bitcoin is going. And later, now you really better hope this uh, home team wins by more than three and a half points. That's because the Supreme Court paved the way to sports gambling legalization. Today, we will tell you which stocks could be the big winners. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. It's root, root, root for the home team mm. to beat the spread. That's because the Supreme Court struck down a federal ban on sports gambling today, and this paves the way for states to legalize betting, which could change the world of sports as we know it. Let's get to Eric Chemi in the newsroom for all the details. Hi, Eric. That's right, Melissa. There are a lot of implications here from technology stocks, media stocks, the sports teams, the leagues. But let's just look at the casinos. The American Gaming Association estimates $150 billion are illegally wagered on sports gambling, but the profit margins are much thinner. Deutsche Bank estimates a $4 billion revenue opportunity by 2023, just based on 13 states approving sports betting one by one. If you look at the casino stocks today, they've been mixed because it depends on their footprint. If you're just in Las Vegas, you're actually losing your monopoly. But companies that have casinos in many other states, they're going to benefit more because they're going to have that footprint. So take a look at some stocks like Caesars. Boyd Gaming is another one. Uh, MGM is another one. Those are all up today. Even the MGM CEO, he had a good soundbite. He says he thinks they're the best positioned casino to take advantage. Given our uh, decades of relationships with the leagues, with the teams, um, and in, of course, Nevada, that we will be a very significant player, if not the largest player in this market. And then speaking of teams and leagues, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, he points out the larger connections with his technology and media partners. Here's what he had to say. It could finally become fun to go to a baseball game again. <laughs> you know, all that downtime. Um, a basketball game, football, it's easy to see how the, the, you'll have fun at the arena, at the stadium. And while you're watching it, whether it's online, on traditional TV, you know, in fact, this could even help traditional TV because of the zero latency or minimal latency of traditional broadcasting. So, you know, I think I think this is something that benefits everybody, even tangentially associated with sports. Okay, Melissa, so that's what's going to happen there. Watch state by state. New Jersey's got it now. Twelve other states are ready to go, and many more states. They're working this through their legislature system. So pretty soon, could be half the country. You could start betting on all those teams you want to bet on, Melissa. All right. Thanks, Eric. Yep. Eric Chami, I don't bet, but I'll keep that in mind. Um, in terms of the greatest impact, where would you go, Guy? It's interesting. I think, well, first of all, I think the sell-off win was overdone. Whether or not the sell-off had anything to do with this, I think it was part of it. I think win coming off a couple percent today is overdone to the downside. I still think that stock should trade higher. But I thought Mark Cuban made an interesting point. Maybe, and I'm not suggesting this is going to change the fortunes of ESPN, but it doesn't hurt ESPN, right? I mean, if yeah. people are now more engaged and have to watch because they have a couple dimes on a game, it might actually help, help them on the margin. So Disney, which to me was all not that interesting, maybe you can make an argument that it gets interesting off the back of that. I, I asked Brent Musburger, mm. well-known Brent Musburger, the very question great. on Power Lunch today. He said absolutely people will watch more if there is betting. Yeah, and think about this crypto craze, at least as far as retail. It's like kind of, it's a mobile, it's a digital mm -hmm. mobile sort of thing. And I think you're going to see that. I think there's going to be a lot of media platforms that benefit from this. And it actually could be a negative for crypto when you think Why? about the use who like... Because we've been saying this, it's kind of like legal gambling on your iPhone, right? So now you have other things that are legal to gamble on on your iPhone, right? So to me, I just think that this opens up a whole slew of things, but I think it's a positive for the media guys. You fast-pitched Caesars. Fast-pitched Caesars a couple months ago, and, and it was really a call on these guys coming out of bankruptcy, and actually their margins went from worst to first. Um, I actually think it's a very good call, and as we, we point out, Caesars outperformed today because some of their properties are in places like New Jersey. So bottom line, I do think it helps those. I think the sports franchises have never been more valuable based upon this. Let's uh, face it, they're, they're the ones controlling the, 
how a lot of this stuff is played. And on the gaming side, in terms of technology, scientific gaming, that name uh, have yeah. absolute skyrocket. This they have been acquiring more and more, and they're already global. They're in a hundred countries already. So that's an interesting one. I think you could still look at trades at a high multiple if you really look at the forward multiple right now. That doesn't matter. They got incredible growth. Win in Las Vegas Sands or buys, they should not have sold off on this news. Their money's coming from Macau. Let's be honest. We know where they make their money. So I think the fact they sold off, yep. I think that's an opportunity. All right, coming up. This stock is hovering near bear market territory, but one trader is betting it is about to break out. We've got all the details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Cue the Lambos. Talk about the moon. Doodle on Coinbase screen grabs. Because the biggest Bitcoin conference is taking over Manhattan. And we'll tell you what it could mean for crypto. Plus, what's the only thing hotter than crypto? Yeah, cannabis. And a mega pot merger today could signal more gains for the group. Potmaster Tim Seymour will tell you how to play it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Consensus, the largest cryptocurrency and blockchain conference in the world, is kicking off today in New York City. And it wouldn't be a Bitcoin conference without some drama. And our Seema Modi is there live to break down all the action for us. Hi, Seema. Melissa, cryptocurrency enthusiasts have shown up in droves. Over 8,500 people at this year's consensus conference compared to 650 that attended back in 2015. And it's been a wild event. Marketers seized on the event showcasing Lamborghinis, a favorite symbol of crypto wealth. There was even a parody protest organized by Bankers Against Bitcoin, a tongue-in-cheek way of reminding people of the disruptive, disruptive force blockchain could be for Wall Street. Now, in a serious note, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard spoke and did not bash Bitcoin. Instead, he acknowledged that digital currencies are here to stay, though he does not think Bitcoin is a threat to the U.S. dollar. We think uh, blockchain technology is very interesting, and of course there's been a lot of uh, new issuance of uh, cryptocurrencies, so we're keeping an eye on that. Uh, so we want to be very engaged and uh, thoughtful about as this proceeds. Noteworthy investor Barry Silbert sees more money going into cryptocurrencies. Has finally discovered crypto, and I think there's a tidal wave of capital that's about to flow into this asset class. And as if on cue, HSBC making news, announcing its first trade finance transaction using a single blockchain platform, which involved a shipment of soybeans from Argentina to Malaysia. So we're slowly starting to see more companies put blockchain to use. Melissa? All right, Seema, thank you. So uh, the question here is, is Wall Street starting to warm up to crypto? And Dan, we've been at a couple of Credit Suisse blockchain conferences, and James Disney over at Credit Suisse always talks about how the firm is looking at ways to use a blockchain in order to, yeah. to save time and, and actually save money. So there's so many things going on in crypto blockchain. Yeah. And when you think about like bankers and the guys that I speak to, especially guys like James at Credit Suisse, they're thinking about how they can advise companies to use this technology to kind of disintermediate certain processes that are going on, to cut out middlemen, that sort of thing. So to me, that's really what's very interesting right now about blockchain, that last bit they just said, 
you know, it's a logistics thing. It wasn't that yeah. wasn't a crypto trade of soybeans that, you know, to Malaysia. It was tracking a shipment. Right. That and it could also disintermediate letters of credit. IBM and Maersk have a, a JV already. And, and that's that's really where we've been grappling on this desk. And I think people are trying to look at companies and, and, and drop in a, a blockchain framework and how it's going to change their business. I mean, bottom line is it's going to bring some companies to the center of their industries. There's obviously industries building around it. Um, but for now, uh, unfortunately, we're not really able to see who's doing what. And I think playing this on the stock by stock is really, you know, I, I think there are people that are out there doing that. But I think the best way to do it is look at the people that are changing the landscape on the inside. All right. Let's bring in Arthur Hayes, the co-founder and CEO of BitMEX, the Bitcoin Mercantile Exchange, which is the largest crypto trading exchange by volume. In a former life, by the way, he was a top trader for Citigroup. So, uh, Arthur, it's great to get your analysis here Thanks on the subject. Me. Welcome to the show. Um, so tell us a little bit about BitMEX. You deal primarily with institutional traders, correct? No, we deal primarily trades? with retail traders retail. in okay. North Asia. So uh, our premise is that we want to give access to financial products to retail investors around the world using crypto. And right now that's Bitcoin. And so we offer highly leveraged derivatives, um, 100 times leverage we offer on the Bitcoin. 100 times leverage. Correct. And our uh, perpetual swap product is the most liquid trading product around the world. It does about three and a half yards a day of flow. Okay. So, so when we say it's by volume, it's because you're dealing with the retail trader, correct? And so they're presumably not trading the volume, the, the dollar amounts that institutions are. Well, there's really not that much institutional presence right now in uh, crypto. It is a retail phenomenon. Are you equipped to handle institutional trades once that floodgate starts coming in, as, as so many people are predicting? Absolutely. You know, we have an API. People can code against it. And you have a lot of prop shops and algo guys who've joined in because it's volatile. Uh, there's negative correlation to a lot of other asset classes. And they actually trade against real humans instead of robots all day. The New York Stock Exchange just announced recently that it was going into also uh, cryptocurrency trading, settling trades. And one of the biggest pieces was the custodial aspect. You have that figured out, though, correct? You have well, we, we hold Bitcoin. We hold right. you know, a large amount of Bitcoin. Uh, we have certain processes that we believe have made us safer than others in certain ways we do things. But at the end of the day, you still have to take that risk if you want to trade. Do you think um, that there's a risk, Arthur, to, you just said, 100 times leverage, and it's yeah. retail. And that's something that we know has been a real problem, especially in risk asset booms, right? I mean, how do you arrive at 100 times, and, and what's suitable? And, and is that something that is transferable to the United States? You said you're in Asia right now. Yeah, so really, it's a headline number. Most traders do not use 100 times leverage. So last time I checked, it was around 8.5 times leverage. So a lot of people use that as a testing ground or almost like a free option, if you will. I think the price is going to go up in the next 10 minutes. Let me place a little trade. If I hit it, great. I made 100% ROE. If I don't, I just lose my initial margin. So it's, it's limited liability from the perspective of the trader. So unlike, you know, you go short XIV and you get carried out and you got to sell your house, uh, on BitMEX, you just lose what you put in. Arthur, kind of thematically, you talked about Asia, and clearly there's a ton of volume, and, and some are arguing that's two-thirds of the market. Why is that? And, and what do you see in terms of the U.S. retail presence in crypto in the near horizon? Well, I think Asia dominates crypto because they're very used to trading digital assets. So take South Korea, for example. They've been trading digital goods related to video games for almost two decades. So when you move to a purely money-based digital currency, they understand that culturally, and so they grapple, they you know, get on board um, quickly. Take that to the West, where you have a very established banking system, and things you know, work pretty well. 
why do you need to go out and find a new way to trade or a new way to do things? You have you know, broker that offers you options, futures, all sorts of different products. So you move that into the developing markets where you don't have these type of products and you see people who are a lot more interested in it. You've got a stunning Bitcoin forecast. Where do you see it going? 50,000 by the end of the year. By the end of the year? Correct. Now in January, were you a little bit wobbly about that prediction? No. <laughs> no, it's my job to make predictions. Whether or not they're right or wrong doesn't really matter to me. Oh, so you acknowledge them? Yeah. <laughs> you might be totally off base. Parker, welcome to the show. <laughs> you could be one of us, yeah. I guess. What, why is that? Well, I'm a, I'm a volatility trader at the end of the day. Uh, we make our money if it's volatile. If it goes up, if it goes down, if you have you know, Bill Gates calling it a fraud or we're harvesting babies, like, great. It means short it. I don't care. Or if you think it's going to be a million dollars in a few months, great. Buy it. Still don't care. We get matched trades. Arthur, hope you'll come back. Thank you. Fascinating to learn awesome. about your business. Arthur Hayes of BitMEX. Just matched trades. I mean, it's interesting. Dan made the correlation between, and it's a great business, I'm sure they're killing it, but he made the correlation between is now gambling being legal going to hurt? I mean, in a lot of ways, what you're doing there, you're the man, I'm not bringing the guests back, but he's the middleman of, a ga- right, of people good. gambling, basically, which is fascinating. Right. And again, don't underestimate people. As long as a transaction happens, you make money. So here's the, here's the irony. One, one of the reasons why crypto traders love it is because they're, they're inefficient markets. There is enormous volatility. And, and it's, there's been you know, a lack of price you know, see-through. And that's how you make money, or at least that's how you can make money, as long as you're on the right side of the trade. So if you think about institutional players getting involved, that should start to go away in a regulatory environment. The efficiency of these markets should be enormous. And a lot of people who want blockchain don't want it for the volatility. And, you know, you call store of value and this and that. That's one of the big debates that's out there. I'll tell you what I loved hearing. Arthur's a brother from another for me right now, and, and for you, I hope, because the whole idea of this being a derivatives opportunities oh, here yeah. and your limited risk to buying something that you think is going to go fly into the upside. I mean, it, it's the options world that we that we work it in right is, now. You know, with I, liquidity. I, I'm kind of more in Tim's camp. I mean, this is my very solid belief that it, it is is gambling that doesn't have regulatory framework, and we we're just talking about you know gambling that's existed forever. And people on want sport. that. I know, but I, and, and I think right now when you're thinking about the volatility, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, remember remember stock trading before Reg FD, that sort of thing. There's information arbitrage that's going on, and I think there's very few people that have all the information in the crypto space right now. So to me, I, I think it's still true. Well, I'm just saying, it's a bit of a, it's a rigged game, okay? So, uh, you know, uh, we could never go out to somebody and say you should trade at 100 times leverage, and you're, even if you're risking what you're willing to lose, what are you basing it on? A feeling, a gut? You wake up this morning, Bitcoin's going back yeah. above 10,000? I don't know, maybe. Well, and it seems to me, and, and, you know, Arthur didn't sound like he was that convicted to call 50,000. He cares more yeah. that there's enormous volatility in a sector where his company is well-positioned to do it. But, but that almost seems to be the story. The story is that at least for a couple of the core vehicles that people can play that trade actively, you know, oh. l- let it rip. He sucked me in right and away. May, maybe part of the story is the picks and shovels as opposed to the that's, end product. That's the Right? I mean, in terms of investing in this space. He's if got the picks and the shovels. Right. No, but he's not mining for gold. He's not mining for gold. I mean, and what he, said, he doesn't even care if it gets to 50000 Yeah, but there's yeah, no exchanges in the U.S. that are allowing people to do 100 times leverage for good reason. They know that our regulators would, would be all over be. that in a half probably a second. probably would never be also. That's right, Mel. <laughs> I don't know. PSA. Still ahead, what do AT&T, Ford, Philip Morris, and Macy's have in common? Well, they are some of the highest yielding stocks in the market. We'll tell you if any of them are worth a buy when the traders do a little yield hunting. Plus, Tim's hot for pot. Hot socks, that is. He's got one name he says is about to light up. He'll give us a name when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Are you on the hunt for yield? Well, look no further than some big brand names with big dividends. Our Bob Bassani is live at the New York Stock Exchange with all the details. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. High dividends are not just confined to utilities, REITs, and telecom stocks. The decline in stock prices for consumer companies, for retailers, and car companies has created some very compelling opportunities for dividend investors. But are the investments safe? Well, it depends on which ones you're talking about. Now, AT&T traditionally pays a high dividend. We all know that. But some big names in these groups now pay a dividend yield north of 5%. That's more than twice the S&P 500, which is about 2%. includes Ford's. Philip Morris and Macy's, as you can see here. Now, there's other consumer names out there, General Mills, Kraft Heinz, along with retailers like Kohl's, even General Motors. They all pay very respectable dividends, twice the S&P. So how safe are all these dividends? Well, one way to look at it is the dividend payout ratio. It's the amount paid to stockholders relative to the amount of total profit. So if you have 30 cents paid out in dividend for every dollar in earnings, the payout ratio is 30%. A high payout ratio might sound good, you get more money, but it could also be a warning sign that the dividend is unsustainable. So people who buy stocks for dividends uh, do not want the dividends cut because they depend on the income stream. So let's take a look at the stocks that I mentioned. Payout ratios of 30% to 50% are really very typical for most of the S&P 500, AT&T, Ford, Macy's, you see it. By the way, the S&P payout ratio is 35% for all 500 stocks. Stocks that pay out more than 75% of their earnings usually attract attention, and it's not always wanted. For example, Chevron's got a payout ratio of about 80%. That's led to discussion over the last year about whether the dividend might be cut. The company, of course, says no, it will not, and it has not. Philip Morris, look at that, 110%. That's high. In fact, that's the very high end of Philip Morris's historical range. It traditionally has paid out pretty highly. Here's a rule of thumb. Cyclical stocks generally have lower payout ratios since their earnings fluctuate. And that's a good rule to live by. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. Well, time to go yield hunting again. Love it. Now, the last time we played this game, there was some <laughs> confusion in the control room back in New Jersey, as well as here on the desk. So we want to break it down yeah, very it. clearly for everybody at home <laughs> and the staff back in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, our headquarters. All right. We will use Macy's as an example. Macy's, as Bob had mentioned, has a 5% dividend yield. So we're going to go around the desk on different stocks and get the traders' thoughts. You will hear and see this bullseye if the trader wants to buy the stock because of the dividend yield. But you will see and hear this if they do not want to buy here. Get it? I so didn't the hear bird anything. is flying away. I, don't be difficult. Not Jim. getting caught. Not a buyer. <laughs> the target, cha-ching, means you're buying Got the it. stock. because okay, Everybody clear here? I'm very clear, uh, other than the sound. All right. On the other one. So now that everybody knows what we're talking about, let's start the game. Time to go hunting. Pete's right, up scary. first. Oh, we're going to use Macy's. Do you buy Macy's because of the dividend? No. But... But I want to preface this. There goes the bird. No, I'm going to preface the, the no because I don't buy any stock for the dividend. The dividend is the very last category that I look at. I got, I got to tell you, I, I am a major hunter of Macy's. And where's that sound? I mean, I, you know, the bullseye, the whole but thing. are you a but, major hunter but, because of the dividend? Here's, that was the reason, the here's the reason why. First of all, all right. in the worst of times on speculation against Macy's was that they could not pay this dividend. People really misunderstood the balance sheet. But the reason you buy the stock is because they have, I think, started to turn the boat, uh, 
They've got an online presence. They're running the company better. I said this earlier in the show. I would own the stock without the dividend. But ha- is it really? Are they really turning things around there? I mean, it's funny. When you think Thanks about when you well, 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 forget how, how they run that business. Yes, they're not going to change the, Amazon. The most bullish case for this stock has been that their real estate real assets estate. are greater than their entire enterprise value, right? No, I mean, like, yes. no, that, that's actually been the bull case. I mean, I, I can't the, the, the bull case also includes that they have a digital presence, that they've gotten to a place where people are going into those stores after or shopping online through them after being in the store. All right. Next up is Tim. And the next oh. stock is AT&T. Would you buy AT&T because of its 6% yield? Yes, I would. Yes, I'm a hunter there as well. And in fact, I bought that stock three days ago. It's not necessarily about the dividend. I think this whole merger, will they, won't they, um, has gotten to be so absurd in terms of the valuation, which frankly got a little absurd on the upside. People were valuing it like a content play. It's now essentially a broadband play, or at least they're getting traction there in addition to their wireless. AT&T, you buy not because of the dividend, but boy, that helps. I feel like we we should see the target and the duck and the duck go down because it was shot. Right. No, stop this. Don't it's confi- not. Why? why anyway, can, sorry. You're playing the My game right. Sense. What do you think about it? Except, except for guys. Like what you're saying. I'd throw the duck up there. I'm not hunting. I'm not putting a bullseye on AT&T. Uh, I mean, buying this because of any number of reasons, not least of which a dividend, has been the wrong thing to do. Now, it did hold $31. That was a key level. But they have balance sheet issues and balance. valuation issues. So I say that balance shoot the duck. That balance sheet is awful, by the way. Wait, no. Not shoot the duck. Let the duck fly. Why does the duck not make any sound when he flies away? Okay, next time we have a duck, you make the sound. All right? Dan. I just want to make one point about AT&T because I don't disagree about the balance sheet. And there's obviously a lot of controversy about their Time Warner deal. But this is a company that's expected to pay $2 in dividends. It's $32. It's down 28% from the highs two years ago. If you're willing to hang out with this thing and you think they're going to do something, if they don't get Time Warner, they're going to buy back a ton of stock? So you buy the stock. I think you have a $2 buffer to the downside. Nice. Right. Target it, whatever. All right. All right, now you're up, Dan. Oh, Ford again? Is your, Ford is your so well, I tried to get you to move on, but okay. you didn't. I wouldn't buy Ford this for the dividend, dividend, but I think they've thrown everything at this stock. The sentiment's horrible. The stock we know has been banging around 10 bucks here. You know, so 60 cents over so you the you let next it go year, or you buy it? Kind of get, well, you're hunting that thing? What are you doing? Sounds Play like the game, hunting, man. I don't, I don't, I don't are you know. buying? It's so confusing. You're hunting. No, just are you buying? Would you buy or buying. not? I'm buying. It then you're a hunter. You're buying you're it. Hunting. You're hunting. Hunter, hunting. There we go. Happy All hunter. right, moving on. Guy, you're up yes. next. Hello, Philip Mars. I can play this Philip game Mars, five percent dividend yield. Buy it or let it go. Let the duck fly there, Mel, because I'm letting quack, this sucker quack, go. Quack, See, quack. I played the game correctly. Right? Why? Now, because now. guess quack, what? Quack, quack. You know, quack. A lot of different reasons, and not least of which, what Tim is going to pitch is cutting into mm. all of these businesses. And you look at Philip Morris on valuation, and you say, you know what? Cheap 13 times forward earnings. They're growing at about 8% EPS growth, so that duck's going to fly for a while there, Mel, until they do something to figure this whole thing out. Fly I think, duck. I think this is the last time we played this That game. duck's stuffed. I, I, I think it's in my living room right now. This is still very confusing. They're decelerating in too many areas. That's, why, that's, that's the duck exactly flying. why the duck is And flying. I think the duck should be shot out of the sky if, in Whoa. fact, that you, you buy the... But well, you don't want to pigeon. No ducks anyway, were heard okay, here, people. Okay? No ducks were heard. Still ahead. Canopy growth lighting up today after applying to be the first marijuana producer to list on the New York Stock Exchange. It was just one piece of big pot news today. We'll give you all the details. Plus, amid all these hot pot stocks, Tim says he's got a cannabis play that's about to blaze. Will the other traders give his pitch a hit or pass on the grass? (laughs) That's a lot of puns, ladies and gentlemen. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks lighting up today after two big announcements in the space. Aditi Roy's in San Francisco with more. Hi, Aditi. 
Hi there, Melissa. That's right. Two big announcements in the industry today. Let's start with Aurora. The Canadian cannabis company announcing it will buy rival medical marijuana company MedRelief for $2.5 billion. This makes it the biggest deal yet between major can Canadian marijuana growers. The two companies plan to produce more than 570,000 kgs of cannabis per year. The deal comes two months before the expected legalization of marijuana for recreational use in Canada. And the other big pots story today coming from Aurora's rival Canopy Growth, the medical marijuana company, reporting that it has applied to have its shares sold on the New York Stock Exchange. I talked to Canopy Growth CEO Bruce Linton on the phone as he was shuttling between meetings in Boston with institutional investors earlier today. He told me they were considering selling shares on the Nasdaq earlier this year, but diverted its attention to its deal with Constellation Brands. He says they eventually went with the New York Stock Exchange because it represents Wall Street and a, quote, much more concentrated counterpoint to what we're doing. Linton also told me he's seen a, quote, massive transformation of the credibility of our company and the sector, even in the last few months among investors. The company has been expanding its international footprint with business deals in Australia, Denmark, and Jamaica. Melissa, back to you. All right, Aditi, thank you. Um, now, Tim, you pitched MedRelief back in January. Yeah, yeah. And look, and this deal with Aurora is the second and third largest players. I think it makes a lot of sense. Again, these guys are all trying to move as quickly as possible. It's a land grab. These guys will have an international footprint that will, uh, with Canopy, will be rivaling, I think, the two biggest in the world. So uh, it's an exciting time in the Canopy space for sure. Yep. All right. Well, space. Since you're space. so hot on the pot space, why don't you yeah. head over to the plasma and give it pitch us a new name you're looking at. Okay. So, again, part of what I'm doing here is to give you guys at least some insight into the largest market cap in the space. So I want to take you to the fourth largest player, effectively, which is Afria, which is another Canadian player. And then ultimately, the story here is this is a company that, to me, based upon you know, where we look at the rest of the sector, even relative to those two companies we just talked about. On valuation, this is a very interesting company. This is a company that trades roughly nine times EV EBITDA, uh, one and a half to two years out, which is about half of what the other guys trade at. The next is the production capacity. What you're hearing out of these guys, again, especially when Canada goes fully uh, recreational in the second half of the year, to be able to have that capacity to build is something that actually a lot of the people are, are, are really scrambling to get. These are one of the few guys that are going to grow capacity in a major way around the world. Um, finally, the international footprint is also something that's very important. Remember, Vic Newfield, who's the CEO of Afria, ran the largest drug and health, uh, essentially wellness products company uh, in Canada that was a global company. And that's really what this is, folks. This is about wellness. This is ultimately about the medical side of the business and the international growth that these three companies, in other words, the two forementioned and Afria, I think these guys, they, look, they're using their currencies in the form of their stock price to go out and acquire. That's what you heard about this morning. I think there'll be more of that. This company, to me, is very well positioned in Canada and internationally. Hey, Tim. Hey, Dan. So why is the uh, wellness trade, um, why, is it, why is it traded at half the valuation of its peers? Because it, you have a domination of, you've got a management team that I think people have been trying to wait to hear the, uh, you know, what the message is, what the vision is. But really, look, in, in Canopy and Aurora, those are two companies with CEOs that have been out there talking their books for a long time. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but that's part of why the valuations really, I, I think, in those two companies really outstrip the others. Remember, you've had this massive move in Afria. You had this pullback. And ultimately, you've had this stabilizing here where I think people are starting to realize that the sector, this is what he's talking about, where you're starting to see this kind of all in on the cannabis move. All right, no more questions here. It is time to vote. So are you buying or selling Tim's pitch on Afria, which trades in Toronto? Pete Nigerian, what do you say? I like this valuation Tim brought up, so I am a buyer. I like this group, and I think that there's plenty of upside in all kinds of different names, this being one of them.
Dan? Yeah, I'm also a buyer. And I mean this seriously. I don't know anyone who's doing as much work as Tim is right now, and I think it's been pretty thoughtful, and I'm psyched to have exposure to this space. Okay. Tim, hit the bullseye there, Mel. Wrong See game. <laughs> Wrong. We're not hunting. Is for the bird fast flying pitch. away? Or, yeah. Does that mean that you're buying Afria or well, you're the buying last game, Afria? If the bullseye meant you're buying it and the flying See, duck. That was meant a test. You like what I did? That was a test on your knowledge of the game. <laughs> anyway, good for I'm you. You're a buyer. Sure, I am. <laughs> All right. Well, the traders are smoking what Tim is pitching. <laughs> but are you at home buying Tim's pitch for Afria? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later on in the show. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Do not go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Qualcomm getting a boost today following reports that Chinese regulators will restart its review of the company's proposed takeover bid for NXP Semi. And that has one trader betting on an even bigger rally ahead. So, Dan, what'd you see? Yeah, so there was a lot of activity in both the calls and the puts, two and a half times average daily volume. There was one trade that really caught my eye when the stock was trading about 56.80. Um, a trader sold 9,000 of the July 50 uh, puts and used the proceeds, about 60 cents, to buy. Uh, 9,000 of the July 60, 65 call spreads, paying a dollar for that. That costs 40 cents. That trader can make up to $4.60 between uh, 60, 40 and 65 bucks, a level it wasn't at too far ago. And by selling the puts down at the 50 strike level, they're willing to buy the stock down there. We have a couple quick charts. Look at the one-year chart. The thing has had a nice bounce over the last week, back from about 50. So they're targeting that level. And if you look at 65, that was sort of a breakdown level uh, a couple months ago when it looked like this deal wasn't going to happen. So to me, this is kind of a good trade, risk-reward, selling the 50s, buying the 60, 65 calls. I love when you see a trader come in there willing to sell that downside, put to finance the upside, willing to say, hey, if the stock breaks down, I want to own it, so I'm with you, Dan. What do we I'm call that? Call spread risk reversal You're there, darn right. It is a risk reversal. Hey, Bang. Giddy up. Hey, hey, that up there, big dog. Yeah. Cha-ching. Whatever that sound effect was. From Robson's Action, check out the full show Fridays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the final trades and the result from the Twitter poll on Tim's Fast Pitch. The only thing hotter than Tim's pot pitch is Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, the song Tim sings at home and knows oh so well. This is what my daughter does to me all the time. <laughs> time for the final Tony, trade. So Let's go around. The win for me. Around the horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was it. <laughs> AMD, I love that call buying in there. And let me tell you something. The CEO, she's turning the corner. Win for you, win I for mean, America. Tony's for winners. <laughs> and because of that, stay in this Afria trade. Big cap as, as they get in the cannabis space. Danny. Yeah, so uh, Tim's turned me on to uh, Canopy. Weed is the ticker up in Canada. But it may be coming to the NYSC. NYSC. That could be an interesting one. Hmm. Is it required to play the song the entire? Yes. So let's just listen to the dulcet tones. Take for dulcet a few tones seconds. Of, yeah. of Tony Braxton. Ah, oh, nice. Ugh. Really relaxing. All right, yeah. final trade. All right, I think the celebration hey, hey. of the quarter was overdone, Mel. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at five. More fast. Mad Money starts right now. <laughs> CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.